We get it going again on the Rural Radio Network and your Tuesday edition of Midday. Welcome to it. Dirk Christensen with you here. This is the roundtable where we get you an idea of what you can expect information-wise as we move forward into the next couple of hours here on your Rural Radio Network station. Boy, it is, I, I don't know, I haven't seen wind sustained like this for a long, long time. Yep. I don't call the wind Mariah. They, they, <laughs> <laughs> I've heard it called other things yeah. here recently, <laughs> exactly. but yeah, you're right. Uh, uh, that is true. Uh, we have uh, just about every... I have lost stuff that wasn't tied down that I never thought could, could have gotten away from me. When a 50-pound grill moves itself across the block, yeah. it, it amazes me. I, don't know. I mean, corn stalks that started from northern Nebraska will end up in northern Oklahoma. Yeah. And, and snow, as a matter of fact, that is actually falling at Broken Bow. Uh, but, you know, it looks like it's going to land in Broken Bow, but it, it's blown all the way to Missouri before it lands. So just so you know, that's what we're up against today. It's, it's uh, unfortunately another big drying day for western and southern Kansas, Clay Patton. And it is, and that's exactly what we're going to start off on the ag side for the midday. I talk with Bryce Gibson. He's an extension agent in Clark County, which, again, last year, a year ago today, saw devastating, devastating wildfires. Uh, we talk about how the recovery since then has went and then what is shaping up again this year, unfortunately, with dry and heavy wind conditions. We transition to the uh, 1245, and then Shaley's back in with UNL Extension, and they're talking with cow-calf specialist uh, Carla Jenkins on forage intake on bread cattle and more. And then Bryce rounds us out on the 117 with his See for Yourself tour. He's with the Soybean Board. And uh, just some really interesting stuff I've seen on social media posts. So excited to see what he's going to talk about with uh, Nebraska soybeans and their export process. Okay. Yeah, that's going to be a very interesting tour to go up there. Oh, it, it looks absolutely amazing. He yeah. was at the docks yesterday, and they're shipping Nebraska soybeans to, I believe it was China or one of our trading partners. Right. And then right next to it is one of the biggest cat dozers I've ever seen headed for mining <laughs> in South America. My heavens. Up in the Northwest, we'll catch up with Bryce here before this half hour, or before the hour is up. Let's uh, move on over to Sportsman here, and uh, it's uh, dead as a doornail in sports, except for one thing, March Madness on the doorstep. It is, just around the corner. Of course, that field for March Madness is being established this week, as most conferences, unlike the Big Ten last week, have their conference tournaments this week. We will give you the latest on that. Also, Creighton Blue Jay picked up quite an honor from the Big East this week. We'll give you details on that. Also, there's always, always off-season news in the NFL. We'll tell you about some guys who are signing and also a couple of guys you're very familiar with who've decided to call it a career. So all of that's coming up and spring training continues to uh, go on down in Arizona and Florida. Not everyone who is expected to sign has been signed yet, but... uh, St. Louis Cardinals have locked up their shortstop for years to come. So all of that and a whole lot more coming up in sports. All right. If we have to, we'll make it up. That's, that's what it comes down to. Uh, Bob Brogan has business. Kind of a down day, huh? Stocks were a little bit lower at, uh, at midday, and so we're watching that. Senate banking, banking bill clears a procedural hurdle, and also the White House uh, says that President Donald Trump and Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau uh, have discussed trade issues, and uh, probably uh, they had to reach over to see whether the air conditioner was on while they were doing that. <laughs> all right, we'll find the deeper meaning to all of this coming up on today's Midday Program. 
Let's say we bring Paul Perkins in here, uh, the windy Paul Perkins, <laughs> to tell us all about what's going on. On behalf of Coolman Repair, here's our ag weather. Boy, quite a few locations over southwest Nebraska, northwest Kansas, reporting wind gusts anywhere from about 52 to 62 mile an hour, uh, 2 miles per hour. Uh, McCook with a 62 mile per hour gust right now in the last hour. And Goodland with the gust up to 62 there. Got quite a little bit of snow that's kind of blowing around here, but it's not sticking around long. No, it's just <laughs> blowing right on by. <laughs> we continue to see some scattered snow right now from about south of Lexington to around Holdridge. Looks like a little band of snow from about Hastings to west of Grand Island. The more organized areas of snow towards north central Kansas into eastern Nebraska, some light snow scattered from Mankato and Smith Center on over to Belleville and then points to the southeast towards Concordia and Abilene. This is all drifting towards the southeast. Also some light snow currently from scattered from about Broken Bow up to Ainsworth. The more organized area of low uh, snow continues to be right along the Iowa border of Nebraska and Iowa uh, where we do have some light snow right along the border from basically the just south of Sioux City to south of Nebraska City. Temperatures in many locations into the mid to upper 20s and Central and eastern Nebraska, but as you head farther to the southwest, temperatures in the low and mid-30s and then some 40s over southern areas of Kansas to the south of I-70. Winds will continue to be gusty out of the northwest up to 55 and 65 miles per hour today, especially towards the southwest where you could see more wind gusts up to near 65. It's all on the backside of a strong area of low pressure that's over northwest Iowa. Snow and blowing snow lowering the visibilities over northern and eastern Nebraska. Fire danger concerns elevated over northwest and north-central Kansas. Even some blowing dust expected over Goodland and northwest Kansas. As that area of low pressure tracks into Indiana tonight, winds will diminish and our skies will clear. High pressure will build from the west tomorrow. Winds will be lighter but still out of the northwest and, and a pretty good clip. Sunshine returning, but the wind's definitely not as strong as what we've been experiencing the last couple of days. Temperatures warm nicely for Thursday and Friday as that area of high pressure slides to the east and winds will turn to the south. Our temperatures cool slightly for Saturday as some weak low pressure tracks well to our south. Not expecting any precipitation with that, maybe into Kansas at best, just some light precipitation. Saturday night through Monday, high pressure returns with mild and dry weather. That means that our long-term forecast and outlook of mostly warmer than normal temperatures in Nebraska and Kansas Sunday through March 19th. In the middle of March in central Nebraska, our average daytime highs warm from the upper 40s to the low 50s with overnight lows on average in the upper half of the 20s. The precipitation forecast starts out with below normal precipitation early next week in Nebraska and Kansas. Then we trend near normal precipitation in the middle of next week through the 19th. Your weather factors affecting the markets include continued very dry weather in Argentina and damaging dry winds in the southern plains wheat areas, a slow-moving Midwestern storm drifting east that will become even more energized at midweek along the North Atlantic coast. Blizzard conditions greatly impacting transportation and increasing livestock stress right now in the northern plains. That snow will soon end across the upper Midwest, but snowy, windy weather will develop tomorrow in parts of the northeast. That return of high winds could hamper recovery efforts from in the northeast from the previous storm, which resulted in widespread electrical disruptions. Dry weather will prevail through the end of the week across the high plains. Above normal temperatures are expected to spread into the nation's midsection by the end of the week. Very strong winds continue to hit the southern plains wheat areas where there are red flag wildfire 
and high wind warnings. Stress to wheat increasing, especially in the southwest and south central areas of the wheat belt, where it's been very dry this winter and possibly even drier than expected. In Argentina, no big changes expected in the overall dry pattern. That's increasing their stress to corn and soybeans in the filling stage, and crop loss is expected to increase. Drier and hotter weather with occasional showers in Brazil's crop areas of Mato Grosso are aiding the soybean harvest and second crop corn planting. Early planted corn expected to benefit from the adequate soil moisture from previous rains. Southern Brazil's wheat uh, weather is favorable for filling, maturing, and early soybean harvest. Ag weather brought to you by Coolman Repair. And it uh, looks like it's staying uh, quite quite a bit cooler than uh, what would be a problem for, like, freezing rain or anything in the metro areas. So that's good. At least it's falling as snow. Yeah, exactly. And they could see some freezing rain later on tonight in eastern Nebraska in central areas of Nebraska. And as you head towards the southwest, also the potential of maybe a quick passing shower on the backside of this low today. All right. Well, we want to uh, remind you that we've got weather all the time, and we have a great app that's got weather on it as well for you whenever you need that. And uh, this being the uh, Severe Weather Awareness Week in Kansas, we want to remind you folks that there have been some uh, test warnings and watches that have been issued down in there. So don't fear. Those are just tests so that we're all ready when the time really does come. Exactly. Get you prepared for when it does, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And when you need weather anytime. KRVN.com. U.S. beef is number one once again in South Korea. A new player enters into the Bungie buying ring, and we hear from Bruce Gorder on Bill Northey's plans at the USDA. That's all ahead on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. U.S. beef imports shot up significantly last year, beating Australian meat to regain its number one status in the South Korean market for the first time in 14 years. Korea imported 177,000 tons of U.S. beef last year, up 13.5% from the 156,000 tons tallied in 2016. Beef imports from Australia decreased nearly 4% on the year to 172,000 tons, falling to second place in the foreign beef market in Asia's fourth largest economy. The sharp rise in U.S. beef imports is attributed to the free trade agreement between South Korea and the U.S. that took effect in 2012. In ag business news, there's a new player that may have the legal parts in place to buy out Bungie. Agriculture investment firm Continental Grain Company is preparing to push Bungie LTD to consider strategic options, ramping up pressure on the commodity trading giant to strike a deal. Continental Grain, which owns more than 1% of Bungie, on Monday secured approval from the U.S. antitrust regulators to purchase more stock, according to people familiar with the matter. That clearance would only be needed under the Hart-Scott-Rondio Act if the firm intended to attempt to influence management. Such a filing is often a precursor to an activist campaign, public or private. Continental grain stake and its intentions have not previously been disclosed. Currently, Bungie has a market value of about $10.7 billion. And before today's Continental grain announcement about a possible buyout, Bungie was in talks with Archer Daniels Midland about a sellout, but that again running into antitrust lawsuits. Before that as well, mining conglomerate Glencore PLC, which has a grain trading unit, last year confirmed it had separately approached Bungie about a deal. Glencoe so far, though, hasn't resurfaced its offer following a mid-February expiration of a standstill agreement that prevented the Swiss company from launching a hostile bid for Bungie. Between ADM, Continental Grains, and Glencore PLC, the three companies rank among the largest global buyers, traders, and processors of crops such as corn, soybeans, and wheat. 
Bungie, based in White Plains, New York, has frustrated investors after the February report shows that its income dropped from $745 million to just $160 million, and investor frustration is pushing the company to possibly seek a buyout deal. We end today in Washington, D.C., via Iowa. After months of political wrangling in Washington, Iowa's Bill Northey is finally headed to the USDA. Bruce Gorder has the story. Following unanimous approval by the U.S. Senate, Northey can now concentrate on his new USDA duties. The area that I will be responsible for is the area now called Farm Production and Conservation. It is uh, it is RMA, Crop Insurance. It is FSA, so Farm Programs, which includes CRP, Farm Loan Programs, as well as what our traditional farm support programs are. And then NRCS, the Conservation Programs and Water Quality programs within USDA. That's the additional piece that the Secretary added uh, to that that area. Now, So I will be undersecretary for Farm and Foreign Ag Service, but I'll be responsible for those farm production and conservation areas. So the vision here certainly is to follow through on what the Secretary's talked about, and that is customer service. These are the customer-facing pieces of USDA. That's the new USDA Undersecretary for Farm and Foreign Ag Service, Bill Northey. I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. Good luck, Mr. Northey. Agriculture is excited to see what you can do in Washington. I'm Clay Patton. Keep a straight row and keep listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's been just a little over a year since one of the most devastating wildfires happened in the U.S. Midwest, burning more than a million acres in Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas. And as we once again enter into another dry spring, what has happened since a year ago and more? It's all here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Talking with us about the recovery efforts and what's going on this year is Bryce Gibson, Clark County, Kansas, Ag and Natural Resources Extension Agent. And Bryce, we thank you for talking with us today. Uh, Clark County, located in southwest Kansas. Talk to us about, from a year ago to now, how the recovery from those fires is going and what's happened. A year ago today, it was really ground zero. With over 75% of our county being burned, And then throughout the spring, we received very much adequate amount of rain, fall, and which led to abundance of grass and vegetation left in our rangeland. And then about October, all of our rain rain and moisture stopped, and we haven't had a rain since October 6th. That's almost 130 days without moisture. So it was very dry again, so conditions have kind of come full circle, I would say. They have come full circle. Have producers been able to rebuild a majority of the fences? Um, Has the vegetation with some of the moisture that was saw there in the late spring, early summer, did that help get things jump-started back with growth, or is it pretty desolate still? A lot of the fences, yes, have been put back, a lot of perimeter fences especially. As far as vegetation, it's still a work in progress. From the highway, it looks like it is, but once we get on top of it, there's this is not much out there as there once was before the fire last year. So it's just going to take a process, especially with now extreme drought conditions again this year, to build back our profile grasses that we had before. 
I'm sure the thought in the back of many volunteer firefighters' minds as well as producers' minds is, let's not let this happen again. What has changed since then in the way people are handling things to make sure that they're better prepared if a fire breaks out? Producers have been putting fire guards around their own personal land. People have been just very vigilant here in Clark County. It's kind of been surreal every time we even hear our fire warning system here in town go off it brings us back to a year ago so we're very vigilant here in the county because of that and then yesterday unfortunately it was one of those the the worst scenario that could happen there was a a small fire spark with these strong winds kind of talk to us about what happened with that fire yesterday um there was a pickup out in a pasture and I'm guessing the catalytic converter heated heated up to clean out the converter and it caught the pasture on fire so and then went south around Ashland it went south and it went straight into a couple of wheat fields so it was able to be extinguished even though we had some higher winds yesterday and we were glad for our fire departments and forestry service available yesterday but again, Bryce Gibson, Clark County Ag and Natural Resources Extension Agent, talking about the devastating wildfire sparked a year ago and the recovery and what's happened since then. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Midday on the Rural Radio Network. And time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, conference basketball tournaments continue this week as a field for the men's NCAA tournament is formed. Tonight, the Summit League Championship and the birth and the big dance is on the line as South Dakota battles South Dakota State. That one starts at 8. Other conference tournaments that wrap up tonight include the Colonial, Horizon, and Northeastern. Now the ACC and Big Sky tournaments get underway today. The National Association of Basketball Coaches announced today that Nebraska will join Texas Tech, USC, and Missouri State in the championship rounds of the 2018 Hall of Fame Classic, November 19th and 20th. Those games will take place at the Sprint Center in Kansas City. Semifinal rounds will be held on Monday, November 19th. The finals will take place the following day. Of course, the Huskers have never played in this tournament before, but that will change this fall. Big 12 runner-up Texas Tech has rewarded coach Chris Beard with a new $19 million contract. That deal goes through the 2024 season. The 14th-ranked Red Raiders going to this week's Big 12 tournament as the number two seed. They are 23-8 overall, matching the most wins since going 30-2 and making the NCAA Sweet 16 back in the mid-90s. Matt Forte plans to retire as a member of the Chicago Bears. Two-time Pro Bowl running back told NBC Sports Chicago that he will sign a one-day contract so he can officially go out as a Bear. Forte announced last week that he was calling it quits after 10 seasons. He had spent his first eight seasons with Chicago and the last two with the New York Jets. And veteran cornerback Antonio Cromartie has formally announced his retirement at the age of 33. He played 11 NFL seasons and was an All-Pro in his second, leading the league with 10 interceptions for the 2007 Chargers. He spent the first four years of his pro career in San Diego and then played five of his final seven seasons with the Jets. He had 31 career interceptions while earning four Pro Bowl bursts. St. Louis Cardinals have worked out a six-year, $26 million package with shortstop Paul DeYoung. That's a deal that includes club options for 2024 and 2025. The 24-year-old made his Major League debut late last May and hit 285 with a team-high 25 homers and 65 RBIs in just 108 games. 
and he says he feels very fortunate to sign this deal. Spent a lot of time in the big leagues last year, and now here we are. It's just, it seems like I made a lot of jumps quickly, but I owe it to the people around me that are helping me uh, with information and just being able to to make myself a better player. They're giving me all the resources and all the chances. So. DeYoung was a fourth-round draft pick of the Cardinals back in the 2015 amateur draft. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Forecast in eastern and central areas of Nebraska tonight. Forecast in eastern and central areas of Nebraska tonight. Some patchy blowing snow early in the evening, then a slight chance of light freezing rain through the night. Otherwise, mostly clear over most other areas. I'm Dave Schroeder with a check of news. A former Dundee County Sheriff's deputy has been in prison for kidnapping and molesting a woman in his patrol car. 37-year-old Charles Thibodeau was sentenced to six to eight years for kidnapping, a year for sexual assault, and six months for oppression under the color of office. Prosecutors say Thibodeau lied to the woman about an imminent police search of her home and then made sexual demands of her. The Omaha Public School Board voted unanimously last night to approve a school shooting resolution that states assault weapons have no place in society and other types of guns are too easily obtained. OPS is also against arming teachers to protect schools and teachers. Board members Ben Perlman also wanted to send a message to the governor and lawmakers about mental health issues. I would urge any lawmaker in Nebraska to uh, really take seriously the uh, absolute gutting of mental health services for young people over the past 10 to 20 years in Nebraska. Superintendent Mark Evans said they need to work together to find a simple answer to a complex problem. Another of the three people suspected in the slaying of a Hastings man has pleaded not guilty. 19-year-old Deontay Mullen of Lincoln enters his pleas in Adams County District Court and charges of first-degree murder and use of a firearm. Mullen and 21-year-old Daniel Hardin of Hastings are accused of shooting to death 19-year-old Jose Joey Hansen on September 11th during a robbery attempt. Warmer weather approaches, producers may want to take a few things into consideration as they look to graze early season forage growth. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. Our guest today, Carla Jenkins, UNL cow-calf specialist. And Carla, you recently released an article with the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Beef Watch talking about different things that producers might want to look at before kicking all of their cattle out for that grazing period, specifically maybe those heifers. Talk to us about some of the things you covered with this. So the article that I put out was based on some research that we did at Goodmanson, and we were evaluating the quality and the quantity of forage that's available on upland range, which is in the Sandhills predominantly warm season grasses. So we were evaluating what's out there early in the season, like the month of May, because um, a lot of times people get anxious, want to get turned out on green pasture as soon as things start to green up. And cattle certainly do like to chase green grass. And um, so what we were evaluating was, you know, when we put those cattle out there at two different stocking rates, 
how much is available and how much of the green grass are they grazing and how much are they having to start picking up some of last year's growth. And so the stocking rates that we used on that were 0.33 AUMs per acre and 0.22. And those are half and and a third of season-long AUMs. So we would assume that that upland range uh, on season-long grazing would provide about 0.6. And so what we saw was even at those very light stocking rates, after those cattle had been out there um, even a week, um, certainly into two weeks, they were starting to pick up a significant amount of the mature dead forage. And so they were having to because um, there's just not as much that that green growth is not growing fast enough when it's cool and when maybe there's not the rainfall base there um, for that to take off until things warm up a little bit more like June and so we just need to be cognizant that the quality that's out there um, is good but the quantity of that quality can be lacking, especially if we are overstocking it. And so most producers don't think about um, 0.3 or 0.2 AUMs being overstocking because that's a very light stocking rate. But they need to remember that early in the season like that, that grass is just, um, there's we don't have a lot of cool season species in our upland range for one thing. And so then the amount of grass that's growing that time of year is a little bit limited. And for a young cow who just had her first calf, just hit lactation, um, we're trying to get her ready to rebreed again, that can be a little bit of a dangerous position for her to be in. Um, She might be better off left in the lot, supplemented some, or grazing, um, you know, regrowth on a meadow that is predominantly cool season would have a lot more grass. So what kind of timeline are we looking at then, Carla, when you talk about, it seems like it doesn't take too long really for things to get going, but when you talk about early season forage, what kind of timeline are we looking at as far as keeping, especially these heifers off of there? So that grass is going to really take off once we start getting some warm temperatures. And so usually, you know, by the time we get to June, that grass is had a chance to really take off and maybe get ahead of those cattle a little bit. So it comes down to um, that real early, trying to jump the gun on that really early season grazing. And um, and so a mature cow is, is probably in good shape on that. Um, she can probably meet her needs even though she's being forced to, to pick up some of last year's growth. It's that young cow that has the really high demands for growth of her own and lactation and then we're hoping that she starts cycling again quickly um she presents a little bit of a concern if she can't get everything that she needs to eat out of the green portion of that grass and so some options for her we can try to do some supplementation on that forages but a lot of times once we turn them out they're really chasing that green grass and they're not very interested in a supplement so that may not be the best way to go about trying to meet the demand for that very young cow. It might be better to keep her up in confinement where we can monitor, you know, make sure we're meeting her needs. Um, or, as I mentioned, maybe the the meadow regrowth is a better place for her early. Um, other things that we can always consider is that we're we're pretty much talking about the young cow that had her calf in um, 
early spring, so March, and then we're trying to get her out there so that she can be turned out with a bull in June. We certainly want her on an increasing plane of nutrition. So she's one concern. Um, but a heifer that's calving just a little bit later, you know, that's maybe calving in April, um, then by the time she needs to be in an increasing plane of nutrition and turned in with the bull, you know, that grass is there. So options there um, for producers, but certainly we just want them to be aware that um, that research certainly showed that those cattle start picking up a lot of last year's growth early in the spring, even at a light stocking rate. So just being aware of what's out there and what the, what, which class of livestock needs what. Right. Thanks so much, Carla Jenkins, UNL cow-calf specialist, visiting with us today about that early season forage growth and maybe some things producers should take into consideration as they look to graze that, maybe want to hold back some of those heifers early on. For more on this, you can visit RuralRadio.com. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Time for a review of the livestock futures trade today. How it went with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe, yeah, you're going to finish with uh, quite a bit of red on the uh, uh, on the board, but uh, we uh, traded both sides of unchanged uh, throughout the day, um, back and forth. I do did hear that we traded some uh, cattle in Nebraska at 126, a few loads which is uh, off just a buck from last week. But uh, that uh, it, that took us back up off our lows into the close, but we still finished lower in the uh, front end. But not, uh, not that bad uh, as compared to where we were earlier uh, in the session. Uh, cutouts were uh, up just a little bit, light test on the uh, boxes, but uh, it was up again. The uh, feeders kind of following uh, with the uh, live cattle, but uh, the grains, uh, the corn, showing a little uh, promise here at the end. And that kept uh, the front end of the uh, feeders lower, the back end a little bit higher. In the hogs, uh, cash was uh, coming in steady early, but uh, uh, the uh, cutouts uh, off once again, and that uh, put uh, some pressure on we finished lower with a couple of triple-digit uh, losses in the May and uh, June contract. So uh, a very choppy day, finishing uh, really mixed, and uh, look forward to uh, tomorrow to see what, uh, after we get past all the uh, winter storm. Thanks, Joe. Reach Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, at 800-328-0134. This is the Rural Radio Network. Soybean growers are seeing firsthand where their products are taken after being shipped to a local grain handling facility. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskin at the 2018 Nebraska Soybean Board See for Yourself Tour in the Pacific Northwest. The Port of Grays Harbor is home to Ag Processing, Inc., often referred to as AGP, a grower-owned cooperative in the Midwest. The Hastings, Nebraska AGP location is one of nine processing facilities. According to the company, each day AGP processes over 16,000 acres of soybeans. 
AGP loads soybean meal onto rail cars and then ships them to Grace Harbor to be loaded onto barges bound for export partner countries. Leonard Barnes, Grace Harbor Port at Deputy Executive Director, describes the port and expresses his appreciation for the AGP partnership. Well, AGP uh, and the Port of Grace Harbor, uh, we started talking to each other back in about 2000. In 2002, we had a facility constructed here. Um, our relationship uh, is very strong, and it's allowed for success uh, for our community to grow and for AGP to grow. Um, AGP is probably um, our most valued customer in Grays Harbor. The amount of infrastructure they have placed here, the challenges and opportunities they presented to the Port of Grays Harbor to continue to grow our workforces. Every day um, is a great day. I can go. I can go to the local grocery store. And one of the checkers are going to ask me, what's going on down there at AGP? Got any more job openings? When's the next ship coming in? A mirage of questions. So AGP is very prevalent in our community and has really allowed our community to grow and help diversify our community here in Grace Harbor. I think it's fascinating. We've got the AGP side, which we'll talk more about. Uh, but also, Sandy, behind you, we've got the lumber, we've got cars. So talk about the diversity of things coming in and out of this port. Yeah, so we're, uh, uh, we're our port is uh, was formed in 1911, and it was based on uh, forced products, you know, logs, pulp, paper. And that was the case until about the mid-'90s. Uh, forced products started, uh, you know, our export markets and stuff started to dwindle from a lot of different things environmental rules, markets, uh, Canada, overseas, and it's allowed for diversity for us. AGP started that diversity. AGP put us on the international map as a port, uh, and it's allowed for autos, uh, automobiles being imported into Grace Harbor, exported out of Grace Harbor. It's allowed for over high over wide equipment coming out of Caterpillar, uh, Caterpillar out of Peoria, Illinois, Oshkosh Freightliner out of Wisconsin, uh, uh, just a John Deere, all the different kinds of overhide or wide equipment going overseas to uh, China, Russia, other countries. We do a lot of logs still. We haven't forgot the one that uh, founded us on the map back in the day, and that would be logs going to China, Korea, and Japan. And then we also do some import uh, bulk liquids with Mitsubishi, Kantanda, and also REG, Renewable Energy Group out of Ames, Iowa. There's been a lot of talk about trade over the last couple of years and specifically tariffs over the past few days. Those things affect exactly what you all do here, don't they? Oh, yeah. Tariffs affect all of us, whether you're the customer overseas or whether you're the grower in uh, the Midwest, in this case, Nebraska, uh, AGP, the Port of Grace Harbor. Uh, tariffs affect us and all the commodities we move across our docks on foreign flagships. That was Leonard Barnes, Grays Harbor Port Deputy Executive Director. In the Pacific Northwest on the Nebraska Soybean Board See for Yourself Tour, I'm Bryce Duskit. Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network. Winter wheat futures closed lower but really came back at the end and closed well off the lows. Corn was higher, slightly, and soybeans lower in the front months. Today we talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. We have a, well, a situation here. We wait for a WASD report on Thursday, so here we are trading ahead of that. What goes on then? 
Well, here's a newsflash. We have four-dollar-old crop corn. September delivery is four dollars on the close here. So, uh, you know, we've carved through that level of December. Uh, you know, kind of moving through it pretty simply here for September, July. I don't know if it's going to be as easy, and that that really feels to me like the level that uh, you know you got to probably start taking taking a little profit on the long side if you've been in this thing for for the bulk of the move. Uh, you know, just the combination of events combined with the weather, combined with you know a lot of bullish action. Although the technicals look great, and you know these things don't don't tend to end quietly. I think it'll probably end with a real nice up move and then come back down, kind of like we saw in cotton today. Argentine weather remains tough, remaining. Uh, you know, one of the most talked about subjects preventing some selling as far as the end of the growing season drawing near up there or down there? I think it's two things. You know, there's the weather down there that, uh, you know, we're getting early reports. For, you know, the USD report on Thursday is certainly important, but I don't think it's quite as, it's not like the September one where we're going to get U.S. at yields. Uh, you know, we're getting South American numbers now. A couple of different forecasters have been out this week. Informer yesterday, 33 million metric tons for corn. So it, it, when... Real quick for everybody who's doing this, if you're hearing these numbers, take it times 40 for corn and times 37 for beans and wheat uh, to try to get the conversion there. But, you know, they're dropping basically 10 million metric tons from where the early in, uh, analysis was. And, you know, you're looking at 100 million bushels, essentially, uh, or 400 million bushels dropping down in uh, Argentina from where we were a year ago. That, that's going to be met with, with some buying on the world market. The question is, you know, what is the yield repercussions of this uh, in the U.S. combined with acreage? And those two things, I think, as we climb here, we're starting to bring in a little bit more corn production. Uh, and as, as cotton bright breaks, you're probably bringing in a little more bean production. And uh, soybean meal, a little bit of a correction today, probably overbought. Yeah, and that's not a good sign. I mean, the old crop markets in beans are probably where you want to be selling, just given that that's where the risk has been put into. But that's a widowmaker trade, selling beans or selling meal in the summer months, especially in a market like this. Um, but, again, if you're looking for a surprise, my, my kind of surprise that I would look for would be a you know higher bean number and then have the market maybe be a little disappointed with those South American numbers in the short term. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to their website, danielsagmarketing.com.